tithes and offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. treasured book divine with hope and joy and comfort by pages brightly shine more precious still than rubies more pure than pure as gold our blessed blessed Bible thy worth can never be told our chart upon life's ocean our compass day by day will have our feet directing by light that guides our way more precious still than rubies more pure than pure as gold our blessed blessed bible thy worth can never be told thou tellest us of jesus the sign of god above who came the world to ransom so great his wondrous love more precious still than rubies more pure than pure as gold our blessed blessed bible thy worth can never be told oh blessed blessed bible that God himself hath given to fit us for his kingdom of endless life in heaven. More precious still than rubies, more pure than pure as gold, our blessed, blessed Bible. Thy worth can never be told. Good morning. Stand with me, please, if you're able, and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 for our reading this morning. Luke 9, verse 51, down through verse 62. And it came to pass... When the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. 
And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful privilege we have to be in God's house today. We pray that you'd speak to each heart here this morning. We pray, Lord, that you might bless Pastor Miller as he preaches your word. And Lord, we thank you for the precious word of God. We pray that you would work your will in our hearts. We thank you for the freedom that we yet have in this country to do what we do here today. And we pray your blessing on this service and the service this evening. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. God bless you. Be seated. The theme of my text and passage this morning is spiritually fit. Uh, when we first came to Loveland about 22 years ago, uh, one of the things that was very obvious was the culture and passion of being physically fit. Uh, there was the... Uh, Gym, workout gyms, people were always jogging, biking, swimming, marathons and uh, triathlons and all of this. I still think there's a pretty good culture of that in Loveland, but it looks like the Donut House is starting to broaden some horizons on that. It's not quite what it was back when we first moved to Loveland. There's been some changes in more ways than one. But there's still that uh, passion of being physically fit and doing all of that. But the theme of the Lord's lesson in these verses is about being spiritually fit. And it's talking about being spiritually fit for discipleship. In verse 62, it says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And in these verses, he teaches some great lessons of what it means to be spiritually fit to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at these verses, I think there is something that is very fundamental that we need to understand because it will impact how we interpret it and look at it. It is not talking about salvation. It's not saying here, this is what you have to do to be saved. In the book of Acts, one of the uh, uh, characters there says, what must I do to be saved? And it comes back to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
And this is talking about discipleship. We are not saved by what we do. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we do, but by the washing and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We're saved by grace and not by works. However, true discipleship is demonstrated by what we do. And here's some lessons that he has for us. And really, this whole chapter is dealing with the principle of discipleship. Turn back uh, in, in your Bible to Luke 9, beginning with verse 23, and notice this statement. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same will save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels." So here we understand, and, and the progression that takes place right after that, there was the uh, Mount of Transfiguration that took place where Jesus took three disciples up onto that mount, and he was transfigured into his former glory and had the two visitors of Elijah and, and uh, Moses, and, and they were there for a while. They came down off the mountain, Tremendous victory. What an exciting event. And as they come down off the mountain, they're confronted with some of the other disciples with a father. And the father says, I brought my son to your disciples to cast out a demon and they couldn't do it. And the Lord had to chastise them about their faith and and their prayer and fasting and, and about their spiritual practice. And uh, they had victory over that. The Lord gave victory. And as they continued... There was just a lot of training with the disciples because then they were asking, well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? All of this self-focus. And the Lord had to teach them that it's not about self-greatness. And now as he comes to this passage and, and, and he's, this is when he is heading to Jerusalem for the last time. And he's going to, uh, in essence, present himself and lay his life down. I know most would look that he went and he was arrested. Yes, he was arrested. But he, in essence, presented himself. And then he laid his life down. He said, no man taketh it from me. I lay it down. And so this is towards the end of his ministry in preparation for the cross. And these were crucial lessons to teach the disciples who would continue his ministry beyond the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Something that we see here is the Lord Jesus Christ never soft-pedaled what it meant to be a disciple. A true disciple. Not what it meant to be a Christian, but what it meant to be a true disciple. So many times people try to make things, and it's not that we're trying to make things hard, but so many times people just try to make it so easy to slide everybody into place without making true repentance and true faith and a true change in their life. And what we have for that is a more worldly church than a godly church in the world. And the Lord doesn't, didn't do that. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to expect some pretty tough things. 
And in this lesson, he gives four things that a true disciple's going to have to be ready to deal with. And the first one we see is in verses 51 through 56, where they come and there are those that are preparing, uh, go to the uh, city in Samaria and want to make preparations for lodging and for meal and all of that. And in verse 53, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And so he was rejected. They didn't want him to come into to the city. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Wow. They're rejecting us. Let's burn them out. <laughs> that's a pretty strong statement that's being said there. Lesson number one, to be spiritually fit, you must know how to deal with hostile rejection. That's where it is. You see, not all Samaritans were good. We, we always remember the good Samaritan parable, but all, not all Samaritans were that good. In fact, the majority of them rejected Jesus Christ just as much as the Jewish people rejected Jesus Christ and treated him in this similar way. They were hostile towards him. This is not a simple no thank you to receiving a gospel tract, but rather that true hostility with a targeted opposition. Now, I thought about this. Just imagine this, that we had a church van. Now, that's a good idea, or a church bus with our church name on it. But let's imagine we have one of those, and uh, I'm driving, and we have some men uh, from our church, and and uh, we're going to go through Boulder to the other side, and I don't know where that would take us, but let's say we're going to go through Boulder and uh, with our church name on the side, and we come in, in, just enter the city of Boulder, and one of their police officers, pulls us over and says are you really with Foothills Baptist Church yes we don't want you here you can take your van we don't want you shopping here we don't want you lodging here we don't want you dining here we don't want you involved in any recreation here we want you to turn this van around go back outside the city limits there's other ways if you got to get to the other side take other roads and go on and after I explain to the rest of the men in the bus what has just happened, and I get ready to turn around, and I'm starting to turn around, our two deacons, Phil and Kurt, come up there to where I'm driving, and they say, Preacher, shall we pray that God will burn them out? <laughs> you know, that's the sentiment that took place here. We have to learn how to deal with hostile rejection without asking God to destroy him every time it happens. Because we're going to deal with that kind of rejection. Now, James and John were just with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen Elijah. Could have that been what uh, spurred their idea of, you know, let's just work like Elijah and call fire down. You know, sometimes uh, our recent influences, we want to imitate Folks, there's a lot of good things that God has done, whether it be through other churches, through other godly men, through other missionaries. They were not intended for us to imitate. We're never going to replicate the day of Pentecost. We're not necessarily going to imitate maybe what God is doing through another church uh, in another community. We need to be what God wants us to be. And so we need to be careful with that mentality. To be spiritually fit, 
as a disciple of Christ, we must understand the Lord's greater mission, which was stated in verse 56. He says, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Do you know what is interesting? Later, during the book of Acts, there was apostles that came into this region, and souls were saved, and churches were planted. Sometimes if we, if we were to ask God to destroy by fire all of those in, that opposed us in those regions and, and groups that opposed us, we may prevent a great work of God that is going to happen someday in the future. And so we really need to be careful. Uh, certainly they were jealous for Christ, but maybe they were just as jealous for themselves. And, and we have to be careful that we have the right motives in what we're doing there. So here we learn, Christ said, in reality of discipleship, there's going to be hard times. He told them at one point, don't be surprised if the world hates you and when they hate you because they hate me. James said, friendship with the world is enmity with Christ. And quite frankly, you'll find the inverse just as true. True friendship with Christ is enmity with the world. They don't like it. A spiritually fit disciple must learn how to respond to rejection from whatever source it may come, whether it's the workplace, whether it is society, whether it is family, wherever it may come, without perpetually wanting God to destroy them. Be content to be accepted in the beloved even when you are rejected by the world. Lesson number two is in verses 57 through 58. It came to pass that they went in the way. A certain man said unto them, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. The second lesson about being spiritually fit to be a true disciple you must be ready to practice self-denial. Here the Lord reveals his own poverty. He doesn't have a house. There's a lot of things he didn't have. In fact, so many things he borrowed. He borrowed places of lodging. Uh, He had to borrow a boat. In fact, he had to borrow a cross. He had to borrow a tomb. So many things he just didn't have. Now let's be careful with this. Simply choosing impoverishment does not make you spiritual. Likewise, there have been some churches that want to have church-forced poverty of the pastor, thinking that'll make him spiritual. (laughs) That's not true either. However, this is self-denial. This is a choice of being willing to give up many of the comforts of life to be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ because there are times this will happen. Denying many, in some cases, all comforts of life simply for the sake of being able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to be spiritually fit for discipleship, one must be ready and willing to practice full self-denial for the calling and serving and not regret your choice later on. 
there are many who have gone into the ministry who have uh, served and, and worked with a very meager pay because that's all the church could do. And they needed a pastor and somebody needed to do it. And there are many who have done that. And in fact, they have served for years and years and made self-sacrifice and self-denial. And it comes up to the end of their ministry and there's no retirement because they live from hand to mouth through all of those years. If a church can provide better, they should. But in some ministries, in some cases, that's not available. And and you find even uh, in the New Testament era, most of these Christians were, were basically rejected out of society, and most of them had very little. And that's how they had to live and trust the Lord. And so when one goes through that and, and is willing to make self-denials for the cause of Christ and willing to be content and not regret the choices later. The third lesson is in verses 59 through 60. We see that of being able to deal with hostile rejection without perpetually wanting them destroyed. The second, to be spiritually fit, is to be willing to to have self-denial from the comforts of life. The third one in verse 59 and 60, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. The third lesson that I learned from this, to be spiritually fit for true discipleship, you must be ready to have strong spiritual priorities, even when it comes to family, because this is what we're dealing with here, both this one and the next one. Now, the family can be the greatest ally for serving the Lord Jesus Christ, or sometimes your biggest opposition. It depends upon their heart, whether it is a truly a godly heart or not. One of the things that we have rejoiced for are our daughter and son-in-law, Adam and Betsy, who are missionaries, and for our guests, we are their home church, we are their sending church. One of the blessings that they have, and many do not have, is they have full support from both sets of parents. Their kids have grandparents that fully support and understand the sacrifice that they're making and the self-denial that they're making to serve the Lord in a foreign country. The family can be the greatest ally, but the family can also be the greatest opposition. I know a particular family where... uh, the, the grandparent uh, of the children, the parent of one of the, the parents of those children, totally opposed what they were trying to do with their children. They wanted their kids to be faithful in church. They wanted them to have a good church school Christian education. And they opposed them every turn of the way and criticized them. And they were in a very close connectivity. Sad to say, the grandparents were very effective in destroying the spiritual life of those grandkids. Sometimes family can be your greatest ally. Sometimes they can be your strongest opponent in trying to do the work of the Lord. But a true disciple must have strong priorities in this. Now let me come back to this. 
Here's an interesting statement. Let the dead bury the dead. How does that work? My uh, great-granddad, Benton Miller, and his wife had passed away when my grandpa Miller, Lloyd, passed away. How would great-grandpa and grandma plan and do the funeral and bury grandpa? They were already in the grave. How does the dead bury the dead? Well, with some study and research just this week, one writer was going into the culture of the time. And I thought this was interesting. Now, anytime we take something that's not in the Bible, uh, we have to take it as the word of man. It may be accurate. It may not be. So I want to be careful with that. But what he was talking about was the culture in Israel at this time and even some of the surrounding countries of that area. <clears throat> And what the custom was is that the firstborn son was responsible for the care uh, of the parents in their uh, latter years and in their death. Now, when it was, it would, if the daughter was born first and the son was born second, it's still the firstborn son. It was the son's responsibility. And, and in that culture, what they would do, the, the dad's inheritance, uh, Determining on how many children they had. Let's say there were three children. <clears throat> so the, so the dad would divide his inheritance in four portions. And the firstborn son would get two portions and the other two siblings would get a single portion. Now that sounds, wow, he's getting a good break there. Well, maybe not. Depends on how long dad and mom live. Because that extra portion was set aside for the firstborn son to take care of all of the needs of dad and mom until they died and then also take care of the burial expenses. And so that was the firstborn son's responsibility. And so he was responsible for burying the parents when they died. Now, the other siblings were euphemetically spoken of as dead to this responsibility. This wasn't their responsibility. And so if if you were uh, a daughter, it wasn't your responsibility. If you were second born, third born, fourth born, tenth born son, however many they had in the family, it wasn't your responsibility. You were like you were dead to that responsibility. And so when he sang, let the dead bury the dead, there was a way for that to happen. If for some reason the firstborn son was either incompetent, a rogue, uh, incapable, or had to leave the area, the family could go to the elders at the gate of the city, and they could transfer the, the, the assets and the responsibility of the firstborn to one or more of the other siblings. And then the firstborn would be released of that responsibility. And in this case, he could be released of that responsibility and go and follow the Lord as it was spoken here when he was called to come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wasn't going to do that. He's saying, well, I've got to go home and bury the dead. It wasn't simply a matter, both this one and the next one. These weren't simply a matter of, okay, we've got about three or four days to plan the funeral, have the funeral, say my goodbyes, and I'll catch up with you. 
No, this could last for years. Who knows how long mom and dad would live or dad would live before they passed away and then he would have to take care of the burial. He could have immediately went back and as a family had it transferred to the other siblings and followed the Lord Jesus Christ and then let the dead, now with the responsibility, bury the dead. And so here we have, uh, it comes to family responsibilities. Biblical family responsibilities do not conflict with true discipleship. To love our family, to honor our family is a biblical command. And in doing that, there's not a conflict of that with serving the Lord Jesus Christ or being a true disciple. However, so many times Christians will use family as an excuse for disobedience. You see, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not the day for a family outing, a family reunion. Now, if you can have a family reunion and not miss church, have it in the middle of this day Sunday and be continue with your commitment with the Lord, I don't see a problem with that. But Sunday's the Lord's day. And... and and so, so many families or Christians will use family as an excuse to disobey God or thwart their service for God or diminish their service for God. Now, as I said, we are to love our families. However, our love for the Lord must be greater. That's spiritual priorities. Let me illustrate this. Let's say that you have a neighbor child that just is next door or a couple doors down, and, and you've had a, a great opportunity to, to, to watch from the time this child is born and growing up and, and become involved in activities. And he comes over, and you feed cookies and milk and... and um, kind of helps in the garden or kind of helps with this. And, and you just gain a great appreciation. And yes, you love that, that child. Well, then all of a sudden on Tuesday, he has an event that he's asked you to come to, but it's on the same day, the same time that your grandchild has an event that you've been asked to attend. Most will go to the grandchild's event. <laughs> you love the neighbor child. But you have a greater love for your own family. Likewise, in our love for our family and for the Lord Jesus Christ, we love our family, but we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. Our love is even greater for our God. And when there are circumstances that, that conflict or intersect, our love and loyalty to Jesus Christ takes priority over the events of family. And that's how, what it's talking about. We have to have spiritual priorities when it comes to family. When I was thinking about this in, in another application, I was thinking of your sister and the children. They come up to see you. And, and sometimes they're able to stay over on Sunday. Uh, they don't have obligations back home. But, but frequently, I think it was this last time, uh, had family come up 
and I enjoy those kids. I enjoy visiting with them. And, and there's times uh, I'll be in my office and, and they'll all be there in my office and we'll be talking and, and interacting and visiting. And, and it's just an enjoyable time. And so I really enjoy when they come. And I found out, no, they're going home Saturday night. And uh, Laura said, they have responsibilities in their church that they need to be there for. It was where two emotions hit. One, I was disappointed that I wouldn't get to see them because I wouldn't be able to see them on Saturday. But there was the rejoicing in the pastor's heart that they were committed to being their church on Sunday morning to meet their responsibilities and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise God for that. And so you see, here we have to have spiritual priorities when it comes to family. Now, let me take a caution here. One of the red flags of an occultish type leader or a tyrant type leader, and you'll find it in religious organizations, you'll find it in in other organizations, is when they are trying to methodically separate you from your family. That's wrong. What I'm teaching here is not an attempt to methodically separate you from your family. What I'm teaching here is there are times where spiritual priorities that the things of serving the Lord must take precedence over what you want to do with family. That's what I'm talking about. Now, family may eventually separate themselves from you because you are so committed in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we regret that. But I believe it is wrong for a pastor to methodically try to separate people from their family. That's not the context of what this is dealing with. As I mentioned, a godly family will appreciate your dedication and service and sacrifice to the Lord. While an ungodly, and and you know ungodly, so many times we think of the vile and, and vulgar and violent as ungodly. Ungodly simply means to leave God out. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians that by and large leave God out in their lives. (laughs) The ungodly may constantly criticize and attack you for your faithfulness to the Lord. So lesson number three that we have to be spiritually fit for true discipleship, you must be ready with strong spiritual priorities when it comes to the family. Then the final one, lesson number four in 61 and 62, another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And as I said, this isn't just, I'll be right back. I'm going to run. Bye. I'm going. And I'm going with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is going to be a long, strung out affair. Uh, they, they don't just have, uh, here's a cup of coffee. Here's your uh, lunch pack. Go and God bless you. This was a long, strung-out affair that would have taken. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. To be spiritually fit for true discipleship, you must have a single focus. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
You see, if, if, if a person who is committed to being a disciple for Christ, one day is on board and the next day questioning whether they should be on board. The next day, I'm all excited and here's where we're going. And three days later, you know, I just don't know about this. I wonder if I would do better at this. I wonder if I would do better at this. You know, I could have really made money doing this. For me, growing up farming and ranching, th- this was a point I had to come to. I loved when it came. We had a fairly large operation for that time frame in America. Uh, I loved farming and ranching, mostly the cattle. Uh, we raised uh, registered cattle, showed at Denver. We sold breeding stock into many states. I loved it. Either you love the rural life or you hate it. Basically, I loved it. I didn't leave it because I hated it. I left it because God called me to the ministry. And for a period of time, I struggled with, boy, I wish I could get back into ranching. I wish I had my own ranch. And there came a time where I had to say, I can't focus on the ministry and keep wishing I could do that. It doesn't work because you have troubles focusing on where and what you're doing with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be unwavering in your doctrine, unless it's wrong, so that we're not moved about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. I remember one preacher, and we would get together as preachers, uh, he would show up and, and he'd be all on fire. He was this bubbling personality, but but unstable. <laughs> and uh, one time he'd be all about going in this direction, and we need to be doing this. And uh, then we'd get together the next time, and all of a sudden he'd be saying, we all need to do this, and that's another direction, another thing, and the winds were blowing everywhere. But you know what? We need to be unwavering in what God has called us to do and be faithful there. Uh, Unwavering and committed to our calling and purpose. The Lord is saying the life of a true disciple is hard. There'll be a lot of things that'll vie for your attention and, and there'll be a lot of other opportunities. But don't lose focus of what God has called you to do and what you've committed unto the Lord that you will do. Now, I understand the Lord may navigate the course just like Paul's life. He, he was going in one direction and he stopped and he planned to go another direction. The Lord says, no, you can't go there. So he checked, says a different direction. No, you can't go there. And within a brief time, God directed him over into Macedonia. He didn't change his course of life and his purpose of life, but his ministry was navigated by the Lord. And so there must be that focus. You'll face a certain amount of hostile rejection. You'll have to live with a certain level of self-denial. You will face conflicts with the family, and for some you will even experience hostile rejection. But you can't constantly be looking back, questioning your decision and still be effective in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As a disciple of Christ, you must learn like James and John how to deal with these conflicts with both grace and commitment. We don't want to be contrary in our spirit. We, don't, we never want to be unkind. And we don't want to go around calling fire down on them. But learning how to deal with them with grace and contentment. 
So to be spiritually fit for true discipleship, you must learn how to respond to hostile to rejection without wanting God to destroy them. Always be ready to deny yourself of many of the comforts of life. Be committed to the spiritual priorities, even when it comes to the family. And be content with a single focus in your purpose for life without looking back filled with regrets. I speak only to believers because if you are not a child of God, you cannot be a disciple of Christ. You must first be born again. But as a child of God, are you willing to be spiritually fit and to be a true disciple of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? There was an Indian prince in India that put to words and music the heart of a true disciple. I have decided to follow Jesus. It goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Second and third verse, if this is your heart, join me as we sing it. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world be Behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, what what great lessons, a matter of reality and truth in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it may be hard, but Father, you've always made it a tremendous blessing. You've always rewarded in, in, in spiritual blessings that brings a joy to the heart that the comforts of this world or the, the acceptance of this world simply cannot give. And so, Father, I pray that you will take these four lessons and let them do a work in building and training and growing disciples out of our church family. And we will give you the praise for that. And then, Father, if there is someone with us this morning or or watching this online, if they are without Christ or they're uncertain of eternal life, Father, I pray that today would be that day that they would settle the matter of repentance and faith and have assurance of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.
Savior, naught of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine, there's nothing between, nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen, nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear, let nothing between. Nothing between my worldly pleasure, habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from him ever sever. He is my all, there's nothing between. trials, though the whole world against me convene, watching with prayer and much self-denial, I'll triumph at last with nothing between, nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that His blessed face may be seen, nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear, let nothing be Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Once more, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. Sheltering arm, his sheltering arm. I'm living by faith.
grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Mike Morris, owner of Warriors Revolution Tactical in Longmont. At Warriors Revolution, we have the largest selection of tactical gear and ammo in northern Colorado. But what many people may not know is that we now sell firearms. And even despite the recent run on firearms and ammunition, we have plenty of product in the store, including ARs, AKs, Glocks, SIGs, HK, and more. And don't forget all the bulk ammunition at the best prices in town. Need to do a private firearms transfer? We can do that, too. I am a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. 
And our team is made up of veterans and security experts, not a bunch of salesmen. Our team is trained and fought with much of the actual equipment we sell. And one thing you should know is that we support the foundations and principles this great country was founded upon. So if you need tactical gear, ammo, firearms, AR parts or upgrades, and even survival accessories, stop by and visit us on Ken Pratt Boulevard and Bowen Street in Longmont. Or visit warriorsrevolution.com. That's warriorsrevolution.com. Congresswoman Lauren Bober joins us live on Swamp Fight Wednesday at 5 p.m. right here on AM 1360. That's Wednesday at 5 p.m. Don't miss it. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goose Down comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bed sheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are fine. In. You save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code KHNC. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. Hey, this is Rod from PCs and Parts in Loveland. We're your local computer and parts repair store. We have been in business for over 18 years, and we have been fixing computers and love doing that. If you're having anything with technical-related issues, come by and see us. To reach us, call us at 970-203-0696 or go to our website at PCsandparts.com. We'd love to talk to you about your particular problems. Hey, Chris Lewis here with My Favorite Gunsmith at MyFavoriteGunsmith.com, 970-776-0258. At My Favorite Gunsmith, all I do is repair firearms. I love freedom more than guns, but the only thing that separates a free man from a slave is firearm ownership. I would only add that it needs to work. All of my guns work. Do yours? Find out, 970-776-0258. My Favorite Gunsmith at MyFavoriteGunsmith.com. That's 970-776-0258. The globalists say resistance is futile. Will you choose to accept your slavery or declare your liberty? Find out how on Pac-Man and the Rev, Saturdays from 1 to 2. Sometimes the truth hurts. This is Mark Hall, host of the Come Out of Her My People show here on the Roar of the Rockies. Tune in to discover why, whether it's the law of the land or scripture, what you've probably heard it says is not what is written. It's time to come out of all of that. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, 1360 AM, KHNC, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. 